Today we're talking about when injured runners really have to stop running. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. The other day I got a call from a patient who's had an injury and briefly explained the scenario and then asked me the million dollar question, do I really have to stop running to get better? And more importantly, is it possible that I might actually have to stop running forever because of this injury? Now, that's the big concern that we all have as runners, and, and it's a pretty common question. So today, we're going to talk about what my opinions are regarding when people should stop running and not stop running. And all of the information I'm going to present to you is based on a lecture that I gave uh, at the International Foot and Ankle Foundation meeting at the annual medical conference in Lake Tahoe. It's a medical conference that's given to physicians where they get their continuing medical education credits. And so most of the doctors at this conference, since it's about foot and ankle injuries and treatment of foot and ankle injuries, of course, is podiatrists, foot and ankle surgeons, um, and, and so on. So all of these healthcare professionals go to this conference to try to learn everything they can about the latest in foot and ankle conditions. And I was invited to speak there to give this lecture that was entitled, When Do Injured Runners Really Have to Stop Running? So what I'm going to do is present the information to you and kind of explain what I went through and explain to physicians during that lecture. The goal of the lecture was to try to explain the standard of care for common running injuries, and we'll talk about that a little bit, and then try to explain to doctors really the difference between runners' expectations and physicians' expectations. And so as a runner, when you go to the doctor, you're probably trying to expect that the doctor is going to give you a strategy to help you continue to run because you're a runner, you want to run. The doctor may do something completely different. That's not to say that the doctor is not trying to get you better. Of course, the physician just wants to get you better, but the physician's perspective is different. I mean, we as physicians are trained to make your injury improve as fast as possible. Oftentimes, that is at the expense of your desired activities. So if you want to run and running is stressful and we think that you not running will either prevent further injury or help that injury heal faster, many doctors will just tell you to stop running. And so obviously that's not really what you want. And the point of this lecture was to help physicians understand how to think about this a little bit differently. Then the next section, I was going to try to explain the idea of damage control and teaching physicians about how runners can run and still heal. And this will probably be useful information for you if you need to go back to your doctor and try to come up with some new strategies that might really keep you active and, uh, and yet still heal. And then the very last section of the lecture, what I did was explain to physician, okay, well, when is it really necessary to stop running? When is it so high risk that if you continue to run, you could really and truly do permanent damage to yourself? And you know, making one problem a little bit worse is not that big of a deal. But if you do so much damage to some structure in your foot that it really does severely limit or prevent you from running permanently for the rest of your life, then we as physicians just have to say no. And you need to understand what those conditions are so that you can make sure that you're not running on some injury that may really make you a lot worse. Now, in the opening slide of the lecture, one of the first things that I have is a picture of two runners. And in this picture, there's one runner, and he's running along. He's obviously in pain. and says, hey, doc, my foot really hurts when I run. And then the next slide, of course, is a physician saying, well, then stop running, you idiot. And you may have sort of been on the receiving end of this thinking as well. And I have myself. A long time ago, I used to race motorcycles professionally, and I had injured myself a couple of times, not surprisingly, because racing motorcycles is dangerous. But the bottom line is, is I... I had a really serious knee injury. My knee was dislocating when I was racing, and that was a serious problem. So 
I went and saw this guy. He did my previous surgery, and he um, had all the right credentials. He taught at a university. He was highly qualified. Uh, he was a nice guy. He'd done a previous um, arthroscopic knee surgery on me, uh, but then I really totally destroyed all ligaments in my knee. And so, you know, I went to see him, and, and he listened to my whole story, and then he said, okay, let me see if I've got this right. Your knee only dislocates when you're riding motorcycles. And I said, well, yeah, that's true. Specifically, really, it only dislocates on heavily left-handed tracks like Monterey, Mexico, and Texas World Speedway, and, and a couple of others. But it's actually fine on heavily right-handed tracks. And he looked at me sort of with this blank stare, and then he said, well, you just quit riding motorcycles. And I, I kind of waited for him to laugh, and he didn't. And then I said, well, okay, let me back up. So if I get on a motorcycle and I win the race, I make a lot of money. If I finish in the top 10, I at least make something. I get paid, right? And if I don't get on a motorcycle at all, I actually make no money. So I'm confused how it is that not getting on a motorcycle is really going to help me achieve any of the goals that I have. And that sounds like an extreme example, but you have to think about that in terms of running. I mean, that's what I was doing professionally at the time. And when you go see a doctor and you tell them you like to run and you like to run marathons and they sort of say, oh, well, that's your hobby. Just pick a different hobby. But anybody listening to this, I think, will agree that running isn't really a hobby for real runners. I mean, we run for lots of different reasons, but it's not just a hobby. It's not something we do to pass the time. It's part of our life and our lifestyle and it's integral to who we are as people. So it's not really, really reasonable, I think, to just ask a runner to stop running. You know, and the thing is, is that when a runner is told they need to stop running, they see it differently. And I have a quote from Scott Tinley that I shared with the audience in that talk. And I said, you know, and it says, there are only two reasons to drop out of a race. One is if you have a broken right femur. The other is if you have busted the left one. Beyond that, I can't think of any reason not to finish. And that's from Scott Tinley who's a two-time Ironman world champion, and kind of a legend, tough guy. And no question, like, that's the way a lot of runners think about it. And from a personal standpoint, at Ironman Hawaii, you know, it took me a long time to qualify for Ironman Hawaii. And when I finally got my slot, as luck would have it, I was getting a chest x-ray. Uh, you know, I had this whole thing, you know, I was concerned that I had pneumonia. I was, I was having trouble training. I wasn't training very much. I was getting lightheaded and all that. So, I went and got a chest x-ray and then I was talking to my physician about it and he says to me, he says, Chris, please promise me you'll be smart. And then he said, no, wait, wait, I know you, you can't do that. Just promise me you'll be careful. And, you know, because I just said, look, it took me nine years to get into Ironman Hawaii. We, we both know I'm going, so just help me get through this. Of course, he knows me and he understands runners too. So he didn't tell me just skip the race because it's really not that simple with a race like that. One thing that doctors don't always understand is like what their real goal is because we're taught to fix the problem. So I have this quiz, which is basically just a slide, and it says, uh, when, a, when treating a runner with a foot injury and pain, the physician's primary responsibility is to A, make the pain go away, B, prevent further tissue damage, C, improve the radiographic appearance, which just means that it should look better on x-rays, or D, help the patient achieve his or her goal. Now, if you're a patient listening to this, you probably already know that the, the right answer is that the, you should help the patient achieve his or her goal. So if your goal is to run a marathon, that's the goal. If your goal is to run a marathon at three hours, that's, your, that's the goal. That's the task. The doctor should help you figure out how to do that. Invariably, though, when I call on doctors in the audience during this talk, they will mostly say uh, B 
or prevent further tissue damage. So their primary concern is to make sure you don't get worse. And that comes from the, the Hippocratic Oath, the whole idea of do no harm and you know don't do anything to make the patient worse. And so a lot of them will say that. They'll say that is the correct answer. Some of them, of course, will say all the above. But I say, yeah, if you can only pick one, which is it? And I usually say, well, it's prevent further tissue damage. Or some of them will say make the pain go away. But it doesn't matter. That, you know, we know that runners want to achieve their goal. That's why they go see the doctor, not because they have pain. So, you know, one thing that I have a slide that says goals are dreams with deadlines. And I say, look, any runner coming into your office has a goal. I promise you, every single one. And it's not make the pain go away. It's not prevent further tissue damage. Every runner that comes into your office has a, a specific number of marathons they want to do. They have a specific race they want to run. In the overwhelming majority of cases, they will have already signed up for a race that happens on a very specific day. And they have a very specific goal, meaning that they want to finish that race in a very specific time. So your task is to get them to the finish line in that specific time without making them worse and hopefully pain-free. That's the real task, not to just prevent further tissue damage. So then I go into a discussion with these doctors about, well, let's talk about this. Like, what really causes overuse injury? You know, there's this idea that it, it's from running too fast, too too much, too soon. Uh, somebody, for example, who has a New Year's resolution of taking up running to lose weight, that they go out and they kind of run. They run a little bit initially, and then they start getting stronger, and and they run more and more, and they accelerate their training too fast and get an over overuse injury. Well, that's sort of true, but... The way that I think about it is that you can graph this. If you think about risk and stress, you know, related in terms of time and amounts of activity, we know that somewhere between doing nothing and somewhere doing too much, you'll get an overtraining injury. And we refer to that as your threshold for injury. And, you know, if you're sitting on the couch and you're sleeping, there's no risk of injury. If you're all the way at the other end of the spectrum where you're doing like, you know, an ultra marathon every day. Uh, sooner or later, you're going to get an overtraining injury because at some point you will surpass your body's ability to absorb all the force you're applying to it and something breaks. So there's a whole range of things in between that can affect that, like mechanical stressors. So we think of biomechanics, we think about our running form, we think about the surfaces that we run on that can either increase or decrease the amount of stress when we land, the types of running shoes we wear, all of those things are mechanical stressors. We think about oxidative stressors, what actually happens biomechanically in your body. Um, we think about environmental stressors, like if you're running in traffic, uh, someplace where there's lots of pollution or you're you know, running behind a bus, then you're going to get environmental stressors. There's hormonal stressors like thyroid dysfunction and uh, all sorts of things that can happen chemically in your body as a result of hormones that can lead to stress. And if you get too much cumulative stress, you cross over that threshold. Part of what I think is interesting is that most of us, including physicians and runners, think primarily about the mechanical stressors. I just think it's simple math. It's all stress. So, you know, if you have too much stress in one area, then you end up with something breaking. But you have to pay attention to all these other stressors because if you can reduce the other stressors and manage them in some way, then in theory, you should be able to increase the mechanical stress like from running and run further without significantly increasing your risk of injury. It seems pretty simple that way. So the other way to think about this is that you can flip that same graph where you can think instead of not just about your threshold for injury, but you think of that same line as your threshold for healing. And so if you can reduce the stress enough, you should be able to heal. So if you get an overtraining injury, I think that most doctors can help the patients to reduce the cumulative stress enough that they can get under that threshold for healing. 
the highest risk thing, of course, would be to keep your training at exactly the same level that caused the injury, because if you do that, there's no reason to believe that you will get better. You should probably just continue to make the injury worse because it was enough to cause the injury in the first place. You could run a little bit less. That would reduce your stress, certainly. That seems to be the first thing that doctors recommend. You could run, quote unquote, on the right side of the road where you are decreasing the forces to your foot by supinating or pronating your foot in a way that will actually reduce the amount of force to the specific structure that's been injured. You could rest more, meaning sleep more, try to recover better. You could do something more drastic like using a fracture walking boot or a cast. You could uh, you could even go on bed rest where you're really doing nothing other than quote unquote recovering. We could completely immobilize you in a hard cast even to hold it completely and totally still and put you on crutches. That's the thing is that you have all these different things you can do. There's nutrition, there's sleep, there's you know, taking pressure off of that injured structure some way. There's all these strategies to reduce inflammation and you can assess your running form. And you just have to think about all these good things and bad things that you can adjust. In terms of the bad things, you know, what's really causing the trouble? Well, you know, lots of training, rest deprivation, dehydration, increasing the pressure, biomechanical problems like your running form or maybe even the wrong type of running shoes for you. And then all of those things that cause inflammation, whether it's oxidative stress or anxiety or any of those sort of things. And then, of course, the way you fix that is you do the opposite. So if the problem is really too much running, then you run less. That's what doctors say. If it's that you're not sleeping very much, then obviously you should try to sleep more. If you're dehydrated, drink more water, stay hydrated. If you have too much pressure in one specific area that's leading to trouble, you can offload that or reduce the pressure through padding or custom orthotics or any of a number of different strategies and then try to address the inflammation. So that's the thing is that you have a way to really move your threshold for injury up and down that continuum by managing and modifying all these different factors. And that's what the doctors really have to know and understand and help you with. The thing is, is that we have this thing in medicine called a standard of care. And this is an interesting idea. It makes sense in terms of cost containment. So when there's only so much money to go around for a healthcare system, you have to do whatever's most efficient and what works most of the time for most people. In teaching this idea to physicians, I have a slide and it basically says, what is the standard of care for a second metatarsal stress fracture? This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. What you'll get from Dr. Segler in my experience is expert runner and medical care that's individualized for your needs. I'm left with actionable steps to recover from my injury. Dr. Segler is different and I felt heard, didn't feel patronized, and I felt like he prioritized getting me back to running as soon as possible as much as I did. I just couldn't see sitting around for six weeks knowing my hard-earned fitness would vanish. I know Dr. Segler is an expert and I wanted to see him in person. But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's going to be on time. Two, he's going to be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are going to result in a more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome. Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today. Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. 
In teaching this idea to physicians, I have a slide and it basically says, what is the standard of care for a second metatarsal stress fracture? And that's pretty common. Most doctors will say, okay, well, it's a fracture walking boot for six weeks. And then I have a slide and it has a picture of a foot that has what's obviously a second metatarsal stress fracture. And I said, what is the standard of care for this second metatarsal stress fracture? And they will say, it is a fracture walking boot for six weeks. Somebody raises their hand. I say, okay, great. Is there anyone in the room that disagrees with that? Nope nobody. Okay, great. The next slide is a different foot with a different type of stress fracture, but it's still just a second metatarsal stress fracture. And I say, well, what is the treatment for this? And someone will again will say, well, six weeks in a fracture walking boot. And I say, okay, does anybody disagree? Anyone at all? Okay, nobody disagrees with that. Then if that's the case, we all can say that we, we agree that the only reasonable treatment for a second metatarsal stress fracture, um, as presented here, is a fracture walking boot for six weeks. Anybody disagree? Not a single hand. So then what I do is I have a picture of two patients. I say, okay, well, what if these are the two patients? If one of them is a, you know, a like 32-year-old ultra marathoner, super fit, never had any problems. She's not taking any medication. She's never been injured before. If the first foot is hers, but she got this running a 100-mile trail race, does anybody really think it's going to take her six weeks to heal? Because I personally don't. And then the other one is a like 72-year-old diabetic that weighs 350 pounds, and he's got renal failure, he's got uncontrolled diabetes, he has peripheral vascular disease, he's malnourished, he has thyroid disease, he has all these problems that prevent healing. And I say, is there anybody that thinks that if we take that guy and we put him in the hospital, he could possibly heal this thing in six weeks? There's no way, right? So it's actually not right for anybody, but we want to use the standard of care as an excuse to not think about what is really best for some particular patient. So I think it's really important that you figure out what's really necessary. In the next slide, I have an image of a guy that was a uh, Ironman triathlete. He uh, got a metatarsal stress fracture right before Ironman Louisville. And then he called me, of course, freaked out about this because he was told that he had to not only skip the race, he had to do six weeks in a fracture walking boot. So we worked through that, figured out how to offload it, how to take the pressure off of that, and he trained through it and he got through the race and he did just fine and he didn't break anything. And I had that happen again this year with a, a woman that had a, another stress fracture. She trained through it. She made it through the race, even though she was told she needed six weeks in a fracture walking boot. And it was, it was actually for her, it was her fastest Ironman ever. And this has happened over and over and over. And you can, you can modify all of these things. You can take the stress off of it. You can manage your sleep. You can manage your nutrition. You can manage all these different things. And you can shift that line so that you can continue to heal. When it comes to nutrition, though, what one thing that physicians have to understand, that you as a runner have to understand, is that we always think of nutrition as being what you eat. But there's this great quote from Pamela Compart who says, Nutrition is not what you eat. Nutrition is what you eat, digest, absorb, deliver to the cells, and what is taken up and used by the cells. So it has a whole lot to do with how much you take in and what you what you don't take in. So if you have irritable bowel syndrome, you're not going to absorb nutrients. If you eat stuff in terms of timing at the wrong time, you're not going to get that into the cells. I mean, we as runner know that like you've got to you've got to do your recovery fueling very quickly after a short run. You can't do it two hours later and expect to actually really adequately restore the glycogen stores and maximize your recovery. It doesn't work that way. Now, I have another image of a, a runner that was really interesting. She had posterior tibial tendonitis, and this is a common problem in runners with flat feet. And she had a very interesting story. Her foot was hurting. It was hurting 
way into the race, like, you know, around 25 miles or so. And she's super competitive though. She would usually win her age group and her husband would run with her and he would help sort of massage and work out this issue in her foot and it would be better enough so she could continue running. And she was still, in spite of all of this stuff, still winning races, but she had this pain and she went to see somebody who of course said, well, you have to stop running. Well, come on, this is an ultra marathoner. That's not a reasonable solution. So basically when I saw her, I made some custom orthotics. We had to do some creative things and she was getting a lot of irritation when she ran in the orthotics. And so we had to modify them with some PTFE patches that take friction away in that area. And then she sent me this email and it said, I just completed the Miwok 100K trail race yesterday with no pain in my foot and ankle. I can't thank you enough. And this was not a complicated fix, but what's really interesting is when I present her case, I presented it at a couple of different medical conferences, and virtually every time when I tell her whole story about what's going on before we treated her, some doctor will raise their hand in the audience and they'll say, just tell her she's a marathon runner. She can run 25 miles or whatever without pain. Just tell her to run marathons. What's fascinating to me is that she actually has a sticker on her car that says 26.2 is my warm-up. So I then show the actual image in the, in the talk with this bumper sticker and I say, okay, well, that's her car. Do you really want to call her and tell her that that's your very best idea that all those years of training tell you that she should just go do this thing that she doesn't want to do and that should be her new hobby? That doesn't make any sense. Thing is, is that we know with all these conditions, if you can reduce the stress enough, then it should get better. And so when doctors ask me like, well, what would you not really let people run on and what's okay to let them run on it? I think about it this way. If you can run on it and we can reduce the stress and you can make it heal, you should be able to run on it. Medial tibial stress syndrome, which some people refer to as shin splints, it's just really one kind of shin splint. Well, that is probably not going to break anything. And if you can reduce the stress and control some of the factors that contribute to that, then you should be able to continue running and still heal. Plantar fasciitis is the most common cause of pain in the foot, particularly heel pain and arch pain. And if you reduce the stress enough, and you reduce the stress that's specifically causing the plantar fasciitis, then you should be able to continue to run and heal without any real risk of real damage. A metatarsal stress reaction is a very early stage of a stress fracture, and if you can reduce the stress on that particular metatarsal, then in theory, you should be able to continue to run and not cause any permanent damage and not have it progress to a full-on stress fracture. If you have insertional posterior tibial tendonitis where the tendon actually attaches to the foot, then that's really just irritation of that connection. And a lot of times it's from mechanical irritation where it's getting squished between an orthotic and your foot. And if you can get that irritation to calm down and you can remove some of the pressure, then you shouldn't make it much worse. Calcaneal bursitis has a fancy name for this little fluid-filled sac under the bottom of the heel that mimics the symptoms of plantar fasciitis. And that also... It's not going to get worse and break or ruin you if you continue to run on it. So first of all, I think the risk is low. But then also, if you can just remove some pressure, then in theory, you should be able to continue to run without any real problems. Then there's this group of conditions where they seem risky to me. And we know that if you run on these conditions, then you could make things worse. And the way I think about it is like, well, can we stop any permanent damage? And it's it's very risky. So sesamoiditis is one of those conditions. I think it's worth trying to reduce the stress and see if you can get it to calm down, reduce the inflammation, take the pressure off of it. But the sesamoids are little bones under your big toe joint. And they can go bad pretty quickly. So they're very small bones. They have very high pressure on them. And if you can offload them, take the pressure off of them, move the pressure somewhere else, and you can run without pain, then it's probably okay. 
Achilles peritendinitis, or just inflammation of the little sort of sheath around the Achilles tendon, is also something that can continue to accelerate and turn into full-on Achilles tendinosis or even rupture. So if you can get that under control quickly, maybe it's okay to run, but it is risky. Perineus longus tendinopathy is where you have an issue with the perineus longus tendon, which is one of the two tendons on the outside of your ankle. That also is lower risk than some other things, but it can turn bad if you don't get it under control quickly. And then the other thing is a stable metatarsal stress fracture. I often let patients run on those, but only when I evaluate them very carefully and we talk in great detail about the symptoms they need to pay attention to and how to make sure it's not going to get worse. But I think many doctors can work with you and figure out how to get you to run on a stable metatarsal stress fracture. But if it's actually unstable where it's broken, you cannot run on that or you push it out of place and it gets worse. So then the last thing to talk about with doctors is I explain to them, these are the things that I say, not on my watch. I just tell patients this is a terrible idea to run on this until you can get it healed. The reason for that is that we can't fix it if it goes wrong. Even something like a stress fracture, if you break it, that sounds terrible, but we can take you to the operating room, put a little plate on it, put some screws on it, it'll heal, and it won't, in theory, disrupt your capacity for running long term, but there are other things that can. A plantar plate injury, where you have pain at the bottom of the second or third little toe joint, those can get worse, a lot worse if you run on them, and then they get so much worse that they actually dislocate the toe. Then you have to have surgery. From that surgery, you have a big scar on the bottom of your foot, and that in itself can become painful. Again, the sesamoid injuries, particularly a sesamoid stress fracture, just too risky to run on it. A calcaneal stress fracture or a stress fracture on the heel bone, also extremely risky. If you run on that thing, it could explode like an egg breaking apart, and it's almost impossible to put it back together in a way that should allow you to run. It's just very, very, very risky. Also, if you have a tibial stress fracture, which was misdiagnosed as shin splints, if you run on that thing, it can break. And my brother-in-law was telling me a story about someone he knows actually had a tibial stress fracture, thought it was shin splints, trained through it, training for a marathon, continued to ignore it. It got worse and worse during the race. And supposedly there's a video of this guy running down the finish chute and the tibia snaps in half as he's approaching the finish line. That is not a good thing and not something you can easily fix. The other thing is the Achilles tendon and the posterior tibial tendons. These are two of the most important tendons in your foot and ankle. And if you just run on those and ignore it, even if you're tough as nails, they either one of those could rupture and just completely destroy your ability to run forever. So I wouldn't recommend that. Now, there are lots of alternatives to running. So the main thing that I do when I talk to runners and what I explain to physicians is like, look, you have to figure out a way to keep your runners fit. They don't want to lose all their fitness. They don't want to lose their aerobic fitness. They don't want to lose um, their neuromuscular connections that coordinate everything. And you have to really look at strategies to do that. So swimming is probably the safest thing. Aqua jogging, where you're doing deep water running, that's very safe as well. You can do lots of core strengthening. I usually tell athletes, you can do anything that you want as long as you're not working out so hard that it, it you're recovering from the workout, which can diminish your ability to recover the injury. And you want to make sure that you don't do anything that causes pain in that particular injury. So obviously things like core strengthening, you can do that and maintain some fitness. You can cycle in many cases on a stationary trainer and not make the injury worse. In some cases, you can also cycle outside. And in lots of cases, you can run on something called an Alter-G treadmill, which is a, a treadmill that basically reduces the force of gravity. 
but you have to figure out, you know, what's really important. You have to figure out like whether or not your doctor can help you with this. And if you explain to your doctor that you're really concerned about losing your fitness, that you do want to heal the injury, but you also want to try to evaluate all of these different potential stressors that could slow your recovery. Remember, it's just math. Just figure out what are the things that can cause the injury to get worse. What are the things that could reduce your overall stress and your overall risk of healing and then manage that and work with your doctor to reduce all of the global stress as much as possible so that you can continue running, stay fit, and then keep running for years ahead. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.